0: Production. If you could talk to a loved one who passed away, would you do it? I'm Dr. Sophie Calabretto, and this is The Science Briefing. When you hear chatbots, you probably think Alexa or Siri, a bodiless voice answering basic questions or doing small tasks. But now, some startups are developing chatbots that could resemble your friends or family members who've passed away. Today, I chat to Cosmos Magazine journalist Petra Stock about resurrecting loved ones through artificial intelligence, what these conversations might sound like, and whether or not it's a road we actually want to go down. Okay, so Petra, a person talking to an AI of a loved one, one journalist did this, run us through how it happened. So this journalist, Charlotte G
1: was talking to a digital replica of her mother and father. Right. And this digital replica was made on an app called Hereafter AI. You can hook it up to your smart speaker. So her parents were spat out essentially as virtual assistants, kind of similar to Siri. So weird so weird. So to get to this point, Charlotte's parents were initially interviewed by an actual person and they were asked things about their childhood, their careers, their interests, what books did they like. Okay. This audio was recorded and her parents' voice data was then used to train a kind of parent smart speaker. (laughs) And then bam, there were Charlotte's AI parents and she could have a conversation
0: with them. Okay, Petra, this is weirding me out a little bit, but tell me, what did they talk about? (laughs) So, the
1: chatbot was telling her stories they had never told her before about things like their childhoods and the first time her dad got drunk. (laughs) At one point, she asked her chatbot father, what's the worst thing about you? And he responded, my worst quality is that I'm a perfectionist. And then followed up with how he's a very tidy person,
0: which can make living with her less tidy mother difficult. Okay, two things here, Petra. Firstly, it sounds like the chatbot father is going for a job. Like, what's your worst? <laughs> what's the worst thing about you? Oh, I'm a perfectionist. I work really hard. But also <laughs> low-key going for AI chatbot mother. Yeah. This is, okay, anyway, overall though throwing shade, not my parents, how convincing did Charlotte think the chatbot was? So it was a bit of a mixed
1: bag. I mean, if we're looking at the audio quality part, the program she was using was audio only, so there were no visuals, but she described the start of the call as distant and tinny, and the scripted intro sounded a bit stilted and strange. Over time, Charlotte says the chatbot did become more convincing and natural sounding, even though it could only answer questions based on what her parents said in the interview. Sure. She added there were numerous times that she forgot it wasn't really her parents on the other end and would only get reminded of this when the AI actually got something wrong. Yeah, okay. So one example was when she told the father AI I'm feeling sad today. The chatbot actually responded, good, in a cheery tone. (laughs) She also pointed out her mum isn't that messy. Well, not as messy as the AI made her out to be.
0: I mean, that's really, it's disconcerting, right? Again, throwing shade at the mother, but also just creepy daddy chatbot. Question though, why did Charlotte do this? I mean, what inspired her to create digital versions of her parents? Charlotte
1: attended an online conference about virtual beings.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: it was there she heard about the technology which she calls grief tech. Okay. That term came about because of an increase in tech companies developing products which promise to enable people to interact with a digital version of someone. Who is no longer alive. Okay. And at this conference, she heard the founder of Hereafter AI's talk, and that sparked her interest. It's interesting, though, Charlotte used it when her parents are actually very much alive. Grief tech is typically thought of in the context of people whose family members or friends have passed away. Sure. So really, this was led by her curiosity, and she wanted to understand how this artificial technology worked and if it could actually, in some extreme cases, replace real-life relationships.
0: Petra, where do we even start to unpack how this works? So there are loads of companies
1: working on technology all working a little bit differently. Okay. There are some that work with text only, others that are more like a phone call, and some that act as a video call. We're gonna talk about Hereafter AI's model, which is audio only. It's important to note Hereafter create these mimics based on people who are alive at the start of the process, and importantly, consent to the process, Mm But not all of these types of text stick within the realms of consent or even what's accurate. Less scrupulous companies have products that allow people to create virtual humans based off someone else's data, like text messages, voice recordings, and so on. Obviously, there are plenty of troubling ways this could be used.
0: Yeah. So the people who are being in quotations, replicated, have consented or agreed to do this, you know, they've opted in. Exactly.
1: And this seems pretty important.
0: Yeah. The
1: subjects of the replicas get interviewed for around four hours. And this used to be done by person, which is what happened with Charlotte's parents, but is now actually done by a bot. And in these interviews, they collect specific details, but also things like tone of voice or turns of phrase. Hereafter uses a type of artificial intelligence known as a large language model, which in simple terms means that it is designed to ingest large amounts of language, which it then spits out one word after another on the basis of probability. Mm -hmm. It's kind of similar to things like ChatGPT runs on. The more information you give it, the better it will sound. Of course, noting, as we've talked about in other episodes of the science briefing, the larger a model gets,
0: the more biased and toxic it tends to get to. So they've got all of the data from this interview. What happens next? How does it actually make this replica So the process isn't instant. It
1: can take a couple of months for the digital replica to be ready. Okay. And you'll get an email when it's ready. And then all you have to do is log in to Hereafter's AI app and start talking to the digital versions of your loved ones. Amazing. The first conversation can be a bit jarring. A voice that sounds like your loved one starts off with sort of generic pleasantries, which is then followed by instructions on how to communicate with the AI. Okay. For example, your replica will tell you not to speak over it. And when you do talk to keep your words to a minimum.
0: Again, getting these very children should only speak when spoken to vibes, like very strict parents, although I think it is polite not to speak over other people.
1: True. And at the end of the day, it's not your parents (laughs) or your friend or family member. And this illusion can easily be shattered when asking a question the AI isn't able to answer. Mm -hmm. For example, Charlotte tried asking her virtual mum about her favourite piece of jewellery, but the bot responded, Sorry, I didn't understand that. You can try asking another way or move on to another topic.
0: And so not just things it can't answer, but also things it can't process, I would presume. So feelings of grief, for example.
1: Yeah, we don't really know what it means for grieving, actually, whether something like this is helpful or harmful in terms of that process. Mm-hmm. And as the journalist points out, there's nothing stopping any of us, even without this kind of technology, from asking our parents these sorts of questions directly ourselves, even recording that conversation for later on. Hmm. So, is this idea really going to take off? I mean, people don't like talking about their own mortality. I definitely don't. And... Are people really going to take time to answer several hours of questioning by an AI? And possibly worse, what if, after all that effort, family members only spend five or ten minutes interacting with the chatbot? Yeah, But it is just another application of generative AI which raises some real ethical questions.
0: So, what are some of the ethical conversations around this tech at the moment? A lot of these
1: companies say they're trying to preserve memories rather than recreate a person and that they can't really control how their product is used. Mm -hmm. On the one hand, using this AI is similar enough to the memories you'd get from listening to old voicemails, maybe sharing recollections at a funeral or visiting a grave. On the other hand, it seems like it has huge potential to be triggering if you've recently lost someone. Yeah. Or I wonder whether it could interrupt someone's natural grieving process. Yeah, for sure. And I kind of wonder whether it devalues that real human connection with people while they're still alive in some way. Mm -hmm. There's, of course, also the issue of misusing tech like this. Who's to say someone might not upload the data of say an X or worse without their consent? What are the rules limiting how that data or the bots can actually be used? This all links back to the need for more laws and regulation to catch up with these AI developments and make sure we hold these people and companies to legal and ethical standards.
0: Petra Stock is a science journalist for Cosmos Magazine. You can read more of Petra's reporting by heading to cosmosmagazine.com. This episode was based on reporting done by Charlotte G. You can check out Charlotte's original article on death and AI in issue 98 of Cosmos Magazine. If you like the show, don't forget to subscribe. You can download the Listener app to listen for free. The Science Briefing is produced by Listener and the Royal Institution of Australia, This episode was produced by Bonnie Lavelle, mixing by Dave Stein. And I'm Dr. Sophie Calabretto. Catch you next time.